Welcome to the STR Data Lab. Hello and welcome to another edition of the STR Data Lab. I'm Jamie Lane, Chief Economist at ODNA, and I'm joined today by Scott Sage, uh, my new co-host for the podcast. Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jamie. Thrilled to be here today and for the next endeavor hosting this with you. Yeah, so uh, maybe quickly walk people through, because today's episode is all about our latest best places to invest report 2024, hot off the presses. Uh, but you've been at AirDNA now for what, six months? Uh, I, yeah. I don't even know, I, time's I, flown. My new uh, card's gone. Yeah. <laughs> but for for, uh, for a good bit now, but just let people know what you do at AirDNA, what your background is in the short-term rental industry, and maybe some of the insights you're going to be able to provide people as the new co-host. Absolutely. And I think the old talk show mantra, long-time listener, first-time caller, that's how I feel today. <laughs> Been consuming the Jamie Lane content, STR Data Lab, for a while. And thrilled to be with AirDNA, leading our marketing and customer experience organization. And prior to AirDNA, I was a customer of, of our tool and of our product dating back to 2016 when I started short-term rental investing. Grew that into a portfolio of a couple dozen units, started managing for some other folks and grew a management business to a couple hundred properties as well. So love the space and excited for the best places to invest 2024 list. Yeah, that's exciting because I, I assume you've been following along with AirDNA's best places to invest list over the years. Probably have your own thoughts on sort of <laughs> investing strategy, sort of how you, as you grew your portfolio, like how you took it from one and then sort of thought about what markets you wanted to expand to as you grew your property management business, what areas you wanted to be in and how you sort of advised homeowners on maybe additional investments that they wanted to make and bring into the, their portfolios. That's exactly right. And I think over the years, I've agreed and disagreed with some of the, <laughs> the rankings on the best places to invest. And it enabled me to really build a framework for myself and for my clients and homeowners as we looked at new investments and growing our portfolio. So let's dig in. What do you say we, we take a look at this at this list? Yeah. So and what do you think? Should we start with the list or should we start with a sort of framework or sort of build up to the list? I'm a fan of building some suspense. So okay. <laughs> why don't we why don't we actually I'm gonna put you on the spot, Jamie, today. All right. I'll I'll do the interviewing. And why don't we first start with just a little bit of background for anybody who's not familiar with this list. We call it the best places to invest, which means everybody after they hear this are going to be go going and pouring in capital to these markets, right? Uh, <laughs> yes and no. We, we actually, I, I always like to do some research of like past uh, best places to invest markets and like, do they actually see a significant uptick investment? I mean, like, are we changing the market at all? And the answer year after year after year after year is no. Like, this list does not meaningfully change any of these markets. I think we do make a lot of sort of local press, maybe even some local city officials um, either mad or happy uh, based <laughs> on their inclusion uh, of this list or not. But broadly, like a number one market on this list, I won't name it, but I'm not today starting and going off and trying to find uh, properties in that, in, in that market. 
though I am sort of thinking about what markets I want to invest in and which ones and I want to deploy capital myself into. Uh, but sort of the point of this list and the point of it over all these years was to try to develop a framework for scoring markets and for to help our clients, help our customers sort of incorporate that framework into their own strategy of finding markets to invest in. That's right. And that's not to say that anybody attracted to these markets or currently investing in these markets shouldn't go there. These are great places to invest. But what I'm hearing you say is it may not align to your individual investment thesis or your investment criteria. And so instead, how can we extract some of the information, and the frameworks and the methodology to get to the best for those individuals? Yeah. And, 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 we'll, and we'll walk through the methodology we, we used. And it's sort of the best you can, and I feel like we can do with the data that we have available to us in sort of analyzing current market trends, both on what's going on in the short-term rental industry, as well as the housing in industry, because it's it's been so dynamic over these past sort of four years. But maybe just to start, Scott, like when you were thinking about your investment strategy, like what were the important considerations for you? And then maybe we'll see how many of those considerations we actually cover in the methodology for uh, this framework that I use. You're putting me back on the spot. I thought I was doing yeah. the, the question <laughs> asking. But no, I, I think it's, to it's totally fair. And I think as I looked at these lists in prior years, I would apply my own framework. And really what I cared about was three key factors, abort affordability and availability of supply in a particular market. So can I afford? I, don't, I never raised a fund. I don't have unlimited amounts of capital. So I need to have a market with affordable home values. Second was there needs to be traveler and guest demand. So it's great to find affordable home values, but if nobody's booking Airbnbs in that, that market, it's irrelevant. And so whether that's seasonal or event-driven or very steady, I did some investing in urban markets, wanted to make sure there was demand. And then the last component is regulation risk. And so are there zoning requirements? Are there permit requirements? Has the local municipality actually voted to make it legal, not just not illegal. I think there's important distinctions there and we'll talk about zoning uh, in this list as well. And so those were important factors for me. Listeners may have different factors for themselves, such as proximity to where they live. Maybe they want to be hands-on or hands-off. Maybe they want to be a second home. Maybe they have existing inventory that they're trying to convert. And so it's variable based on your investment criteria. And so I would say, you know, Jamie, as we think about, you know, how can a user apply this list in this framework for their own investing objectives like was there any exclusion criteria as we built this list that would prohibit a potential market from showing up yeah and there there was a few sort of top level filters and one of sort of market size like i didn't want to suggest a whole lot of markets that and we're in cities with 100 listings or where there's no housing inventory available cuz essentially now we're highlighting markets that probably couldn't support more than just a few people um, adding uh, units into them. So essentially looking at cities over 500 listings to get larger markets that we're sort of calling out because a list of markets with each one with 200 listings in it isn't going to be sort of a fun or really or even actionable list uh, if it's just all small towns that all happen to have sort of low home values and happen to have sort of rising revenues or 
our occupancies this past year. And then the other was we did do as we sort of got uh, the list um, and started narrowing it down. We did a first sort of run through on regulation uh, and in markets where I mean, there's just no way right now you can go and invest in that market. I sort of excluded it from the list. Um, and there were some, some small towns that sort of called out and we did a lot of sort of um, manual digging around on what were the regulations um, related to each market. So a market that sort of called out that we excluded was like Marquette, Michigan. So ranked relatively high, not top of the list, but not not bottom of the list. But they uh, came up with a uh, new registration process and we're sort of capping the total number of homes that were available to get permits. Uh, and as of today, there are over 100 property owners on the wait list. So mm. even if you wanted to invest in that market, uh, it's probably going to be years before you'd actually be able to get a permit to get um, in line. Yeah, you get in line. So, and there's I mean, markets like um, some Hawaiian markets out there as well that consistently rank high, but where there's just not an opportunity today to add new inventory uh, into that into that market. So, I mean, across our scores, like the Hawaiian markets are always have really high demand. Like occupancies are essentially pegged throughout the entire year. Uh, in some of these areas, home values are relatively low, especially where short-term rentals are prohibited. And then in any given year, rep fires can be going up or down. So those, we take a deeper dive into, could I invest in short-term rentals today? Uh, and if I can't, then uh, uh, we won't include those markets on the list. Well, thanks for doing the extra research for us. Yeah. <laughs> why, don't, why don't we move on, Jamie, and just set the stage here? So we're entering a new year at this point. We're probably going to have 11 months left in 2024. What can we expect the broader macro landscape to look like from both a housing and short-term rental investment landscape? Yeah. So it's been a very tough couple of years uh, for short-term rental investment. This past year, we saw RevPAR, so the average revenue per available uh, home, uh, decrease and decrease pretty substantially I mean, over over 6% over the past year. Uh, we saw occupancies decline. We saw ADRs decline. So when you look at investments that you've maybe made in the uh, near past, like in general, they're earning less money than they did uh, when you made that initial investment, which is a tough investment environment. Typically, and you've done performance before, I'm sure of like when you look at sort of starting and you go into rentalizer, come up with your and historical occupancies and ADRs, you're like, all right, like this is the starting point and I'm gonna I'm gonna grow it from here. And that hasn't been the the case for short term rentals. I do think 2024 is gonna be uh the sort of turning point uh where we go from sort of the past two years of declining rev bars to flat to slightly growing, depending on your market uh, for 2024. So this maybe is a year where you can invest in knowing that I mean, this is a stabilization year and that uh, beginning in 2025 and beyond that we're going to start uh, be able to increase occupancies and ADRs again. But I mean, when you look at housing market, we're still at all-time highs for housing values. There's some pockets of weakness and maybe certain mountain markets or markets in the West Coast, like San Francisco, Seattle, even like the Austin, Boise, 
we're seeing some weakness in housing values, but overall home values are still elevated uh, and it's hard to find uh, good deals out there. And interest rates, like you can't get around the fact that, and we're at six and a half percent, 30 year fixed mortgage. If you're Mm -hmm. doing a second home loan or debt service coverage ratio loan, like you're, you're North of that. Uh, And that makes (laughs) the cash flows need to be higher. Revenues need to be higher to cover that debt service. And uh, that's been a problem. Uh, So when we look at overall yields of new investment today, we're essentially at all time lows, given that revenues have been falling, home values have continued to be increasing. But that's where where we're at today. I think we are going to see some easing throughout 2024 of interest rates coming down, home values maybe plateauing. You've got uh, RevPARs maybe turning and starting to increase, which could, especially on a market by market basis, turn maybe a marginal investment into a good one. That was me taking a breath because after the last couple of years, I'm sure other STR operators have felt this. You're right. You're going in and changing the model. You're expecting growth year over year. And we haven't seen that and the margins are pinched. And so happy to hear that 2024 is optimistic. But let me challenge you, Mr. Economist, as economists are notorious for getting projections wrong. Yeah. What gives you confidence that this year will be a, a bright spot for for short-term rentals. And Scott, it, it can't get much worse, right? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> and that all to say, it, it could get worse. Like we have had outsized risk or recession over the past two years. Like economists constantly sort of calling the alarm that and a recession is is on the way. Now, and the Fed has at least indicated that it's going to be moving towards a more open policy of lowering interest rates and moving from very restrictionary policy of trying to slow down the economy to opening back up uh, and trying to at least be more neutral in terms of not actually causing investment to pull back. So just the fact that the Fed's sort of become a little bit more uh, optimistic, I, I do think the Fed probably tighten more than it need to needed to and could probably start coming down uh, on interest rates earlier than they've maybe indicated. And the housing market has and continues to be in recession. Like the amount of transactions that are happening is not healthy and new uh, mortgage applications is still not recovering. Like there's people that want to buy homes for both investment purchases and just to like start their lives um, and buy a new home for their family. And just where we're at today, it's just not possible. So, yep. and we do see more new homes being constructed or constructed, and that's good. More new multifamily units being constructed. Like there is sort of positives happening on the supply side, but overall it's a, it's a pretty tough um, housing environment. Yeah, that's right. I think, you know, to summarize, sounds like Home values in 24 will stabilize or maybe slightly decline. We expect Fed to lower interest rates, making homes more affordable. So there will be more trades of homes and home sales will increase. And then on the on the demand side, we expect RevPAR to increase. So you know, these factors should contribute to a more positive short-term rental environment. And hopefully when Chairman Powell listens to this, he can um, make sure to keep those interest rates falling. All yeah. right. I think we've made people wait long enough. Let's jump in to the methodology and get to the big reveal. Yeah. So as we talk about this, we have millions, almost billions of data points. 
within the RDNA ecosystem. So as we sort through this list, let's just level set. What is the goal of building the best places to invest list? Yeah, so I, my goal in creating this list outside of finding the next market that I actually might invest in, but it's, it is actually coming up with a framework that I believe in to and go about sorting markets. Because in our database, like, yes, there's billions of data points, but there's also 14,000 cities. So like, let's start breaking down. We got this list of 14,000 cities. Like, which one should I start looking at? Because we've got a sort of unlimited view of where we could go. And I think investors today are taking a much broader view of maybe five or six years ago, I would have just been looking in my backyard. But now with the technology um, out there today to be able to operate more remote, uh, be able to automate more aspects of the business, there's more and more people that are sort of taking a much larger view of where I could be investing in. So let's start with and creating a framework to find and start sorting a list of those 14,000 cities out there. So, and if you want, we can sort of run through the metrics that go into our methodology. Do it. Network. Do it. So the first is rental demand. Um, and there's two components of this. And for those of you that have followed around on the pot in the past, like our methodology has not changed from 2023. When 2022, 2023, we did make some significant changes to our methodology. So for rental demand, we're looking at occupancy. So how often are these listings getting booked? And then growth in occupancy, growth in um, is the number of listings getting booked, uh, increasing or decreasing. So we want to find high occupancy markets that are, have a sort of positive trend in the way things are going. So that's component one. Component two is revenue growth. And this one was a really interesting one for 2024 because like most of the country was seeing revenue declines in 2023. So this, in many ways, highlights markets that were able to buck the trend of uh, markets that did have some pricing power uh, in 2023, markets that were able to eke out gains in occupancy over the past year. So markets that broadly have positive momentum and also markets where maybe there's not as much supply growth going in right now because they were able to maintain occupancy and be able to maintain uh, pricing power. So in some ways, it sort of brings out some of the non-obvious markets today by looking at uh, for areas where our rev pars are growing. And then the third main one uh, that goes into this methodology is investability. And I kind of feel like this is still a made up word. Like I haven't checked <laughs> to see if this Every time I write investability, it's spell check comes up and tells me it's not a real word. So, but you, you can trademark it. Yeah. You can think of investability like um, maybe like affordability. So, we're looking at home values and we're looking at sort of the home values that come from Zillow, averaging for each zip code in the US by bedroom count. So, we're looking at all one bed, bedroom home, home values, two bedroom, three bedroom, four bedroom, five bedroom. And then for each of those bedroom counts, we're looking at the average annual revenue that a short-term rental would earn in that same zip code for the same bedroom count, and then looking at the yield. So what is the income 
Uh, so the revenue that could be earned relative to the home prices in that market. Uh, and then essentially we average those yields over the different bedroom type counts uh, and aggregate that over entire cities, and entire markets to uh, get an investability score. So very much controlling for specific zip codes, specific, specific bedroom counts to really understand which areas make sense on just a pure economics of like, actually look like this is a 15% yield market. Like, I think I could get a return if I invested here. Make, makes sense. And then how about, how about this final piece around regulation? Because the first three, is there demand? Is it growing year over year? And is it investable? All make great sense, but sort of a moot point if, you, if there's permitting or regulation or zoning requirements. So how did we think about regulation here? Yeah, and that's where we sort of overlaid on the list. Like I'm giving people a sense of for these markets where there is significant regulation of calling those out. So like in Logan, Ohio was on the list last year, on the list again. Whoa. Uh, oh, spoiler. Spoiler. Not uh, It has significant regulation in terms of the zones that you can actually invest in. Like a large swath of the city is very much investable and where you can add and get a permit to operate in, but not the entire city. So, and there are restrictions. So essentially calling out what zones are available, what zones aren't, and what the hoops are that you didn't have to go through to be able to operate in that city. So we sort of call that out in the market write-ups below, but those are the sort of things like as uh, you're coming up with the markets you want to invest in, like you got to do that next level research of what are the local regulations related to short-term rentals? We are working uh, as a firm to make that much more easy and discoverable. Uh, but right now, it's and it does take a little bit of legwork after you've found your markets to figure out uh, which ones uh, you could actually uh, invest into. Okay, we've done enough preamble. This is starting to feel like the Oscars. Let's <laughs> let's get in. I, I would love for you, Jamie. How about the big reveal? We've crunched the numbers, crunched the data. Where's the best place to invest in a short-term rental property for 2024? Yeah, so um, I'm gonna maybe run through our, our top five. Coming in at number one, uh, actually in my home state uh, of Georgia uh, is Columbus. So mid-state, uh, mid-sized city, uh, relatively low home values. Actually saw the fastest, or if not close to the fastest RevPAR growth. So. They're able to grow RevPAR by 5% this past year, relatively high occupancy, 60%. Like market did pretty well in the past year and pretty affordable in terms of price point to, to get into. Interesting enough, um, one of the podcasts I did this year with uh, Patriot Family Homes, like that's one of the markets that they're heavily invested in uh, with their proximity to Fort Benning. So I'm very much a, a nearby military base that is attractive for midterm rentals as well. So uh, Columbus coming in at number two. Uh, next two were actually on the list last year. So Ellsworth, Maine, sort of at the gateway to Acadia National Park, uh, Logan, Ohio, which we talked about. And then uh, the next two actually sort of a, a preview maybe of what's to come, but some actual beach markets. So Spring Hill, Florida, uh, Sneeds Ferry, uh, North Carolina, uh, both sort of on the coast. Um, attractive to uh, leisure travelers. And really over the past two years, 
when you looked at our list, like it was all sort of markets like Logan, Ohio. So uh, relatively low home values, Midwest markets wasn't really impacted by COVID in terms of not a lot of inbound international or cross-border travel. Like I'm very much, I would call them like utility markets um, that held up pretty well. So now in quite a few of the other cities on the list, like we've got Winter Haven, Florida, North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Wisconsin Dells, sort of Lake Market and, and Midwisconsin, like some new areas sort of that are attractive to traditional vacation rental investors that are, are pop- popping up today. And as a native Ohioan, I would choose to use to <laughs> consider utility town as a compliment. It's, it's, be- it's better than saying flyover, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And look, that's where all of my investing and management was, was in the Midwest. And so yeah. there are strong markets there. And I, I, I think you're right. I think as we look across this year's list, there is a nice blend of utility, under the radar, smaller, whatever you want to call it, towns, as well as some notable STR markets. Like you said, Myrtle Beach, Vegas made the list, Anaheim made the list with Disney. And so I think this could call out a signal that we've been talking about or a trend that we're talking about, just sort of this maturing of the industry. And we're seeing this growth and starting to maybe find equilibrium. I've used the analogy before that the STR market is sort of like an aging wine, right? Like we're, we're still in the maturing phase. It's still aging. It's not yet to its full maturity, but we're seeing signals of this. And so I'm curious as you think about this list in context of maybe prior year, pre-pandemic, how does this compare to maybe what we saw in 2018, 2019? Yeah, I and mean, it's still not back to the 2018, 2019 sort of lists like, I'd love to see Joshua Tree come back up on the list. Uh, <laughs> and that was, and if you had been following around, I think it was like almost top of the list from like 2015 through 2020 of like, guys, like you should have, you should be in this market. Like it's attractive. It's low home values. It's a market that just exploded during COVID on both the revenue side and the home value side. And now it's, I'm clearly not in the list given how, high home values have sort of accelerated. And I think that's the other sort of interesting aspect to it is we're not just operating in isolation of like that it's an hospitality industry that we're attracting guests, like we're buying land, we're building um, sort of new construction, maybe like, and you can contrast this to the hotel industry of this industry sort of operates within the single family home, the multifamily unit sort of ecosystem. And there can be dynamics that are entirely outside of what's happening to our industry that's causing home values to increase, decrease. Very few markets do short-term rentals have enough sort of inventory to really impact on the overall uh, value in certain markets. Maybe like a, a Lake Tahoe or Palm Springs or uh, Destin, where and it very much is a a uh, leisure destination that relies on short-term rentals to sort of support their local economies. But I mean, it's changing. Um, I think our report can in many ways reflect and the type of areas that people are going into. Over this past year, we had called out that mountain and coastal markets were not great investment areas at that time. And you look at 
sort of overall supply growth, there was barely any supply growth in these mountain and coastal markets over the past year. Like they had seen significant growth 2020, 2021, 2022, but we clearly saw a slowdown in, in new investment in those areas. And we'd called out that small and mid-sized cities looked like the best opportunity today. And throughout 2023, like supply growth was consistently above sort of 20% um, on average. So I, investors, I, I'm sure of which not all of them or not even a majority had have seen the sort of analysis that we've done. Like they're doing the analysis on their own. They're looking at and cash flows. They're looking at and sort of the investment options and they're making the decision to go in these areas. So broadly, I think the report sort of just tries to mirror what's happening and what investors are sort of thinking about. And and you're right, it is sort of maturing. I think investors are maturing as well in how they think about investing and how they think about running uh, these homes as an asset that's, and it, it is a business and it is an operations business and it's mm -hmm. a heavy operations business and in, in being hospitality. No joke about that. <laughs> Curious, as we think about over the past few years, we've seen different trends emerge. So we've seen a maybe investment trend around national parks, small, mid-sized town, mm -hmm. maybe it's college towns. Is there anything you're seeing in the data that might suggest a new trend is emerging or on the horizon for the upcoming year? I don't know if I've seen any any trends. Um, you definitely still see the the college towns up there. I don't think there were any major ones that showed up on the list uh, this time. But as I sort of look through the list, like, and you still get the the Athens, the Tuscaloosas, the South Bend, uh, Indiana's like football, I'm showing up football country, football country, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, university uh, cities. I'm still up there. I mean, just off the list. And I think it sort of maybe goes into that trend of the coastal mountains sort of coming back, like Helen, Georgia on the list, like great market, maybe not as expensive as a Blue Ridge, which had been top for many years and was maybe now people are a bit priced out of it. But there's other nearby mountain towns in North Georgia that people can invest into. Just off the list was Sevierville, uh, sort of Gatlinburg area, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, mm -hmm. which is very hot investment market, sort of turning back like um, and becoming attractive again. So I think this is a transition year where with home values coming down in many of these areas and with revenue sort of plateauing that I'm, it can start to make sense to have, again to be able to deploy capital in some of these more traditional vacation rental markets, which a lot of people like, especially given the, once you start layering in re the regulatory environment, where so much of the local economies are dependent on tourism and of tourists being able to stay in short-term rentals. So, and you know, you're always going to be able to run a short-term rental in Sevierville. Like as, as long as you can make the numbers work, like a lot of times it can be a, a good investment market. A year of professionalization, perhaps, on the investing and on the operating side. Curious, any markets that would make your worst places to invest list? <laughs> yeah. So when I look at the list, I, I always start with sorting it to the worst places. Um, what does just, that say about you? <laughs> I mean, for me, it's always Classic the economist. Uh, always the check, that, and it is the dismal science. Um, of 
like do the markets that I know just don't make sense to invest in, like show up on the bottom. And this year, the worst market uh, was the Hamptons. Um, so Long Island, New York, homes are in the millions of dollars uh, and the revenues that come from that with a relatively short season that people want to be out there just don't support it on the short-term rental side. Uh, so that was the worst market to invest in. Uh, and I think a lot of people that have homes in there, when they're renting them out, they're not necessarily doing it to make a profit. They're maybe looking to cover some of their operation expense. But when you look at it on average, and it was a pretty bad RevPAR year too for that market, as people start to travel overseas again, and you see maybe some pullback from some of these domestic coastal markets. Other ones, and you do get um, into some of the, the ski areas with high home values as well, like Big Bear, uh, Park City, uh, Aspen, like Lake Tahoe, markets where you have a lot of people, a lot of strong desire to own second homes. Uh, and not necessarily the desire for everyone to rent them out. So a lot of people willing to bid up the prices and pay way more than they could support uh, as a short-term rental. So if you have a second home, like, is it a good thing to I'm, rent it out in those markets? Probably absolutely. But, and if you're just going to go make an investment and expect a great return, like Aspen's probably not your best bet. Very important distinction there. Somebody just entering the market versus somebody who might already have a property and thinking about operating and converting. Because Lake Tahoe, my favorite place in the world, can't let that be at the bottom of any list. <laughs> it's, not, but, it's not the bottom. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the walkthrough here, Jamie. And, and maybe if we just summarize and, and close out with the final question, what can a listener today take away from this list and this framework and apply to their own investment? strategy or thesis. Yeah. And if you guys listened to the episode we did about best place to invest 2023, you may have heard me say that I hate this list. And <laughs> the As reason the why of the list, he hates his product. <laughs> and the reason why I hate the list is because like everyone's best place to invest list is so personal. Because we all have sort of the price point we're looking for, the region we're looking for, the type of markets. Like you were investing in sort of medium-sized cities in the Midwest. Like you probably don't care that Spring Hill, Florida is a great market to invest in right now. Like that does clearly does, is not in your sort of buy box of what you're looking for. So what I'm so excited about this year is like we've actually built a tool to help people find their best market to invest in. So with the relaunch of the app, like you can actually go in and now it takes you into, and it's the AirDNA app I'm talking about, the uh, get into a list of markets and then sort it by occupancy, by AirDNA uh, market score, by ADRs. You can filter the markets to, and those cities that are in large metros versus mid-sized cities versus coastal markets. Uh, you can look at the sort of, earnings by just one bedroom or two bedroom uh, luxury homes versus budget homes, and then sort of create your own ranking. You can limit to just those cities with high investability scores, or let's say you don't really care about the revenue score because it can be volatile in any, any given year. So 
just filter markets with high investability scores, high uh, demand scores, and and let the revenue score be whatever you want. So really gives you the flexibility to create a list of markets that sort of fall into your buy box and not just this sort of high level list that we come up with. So I still don't love the report, love the list, but I love that now we have a tool that allows investors to create their own list um, and that they can use this sort of same framework in finding their best market to invest in. This feels like a hedge against the Twitter comments you're going to get when we push this out. (laughs) (laughs) But you may not love it. We love the work you've done on it. So appreciate it. And I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to continue hosting this podcast with you, Jamie. Yeah. And I'm absolutely looking forward to it going forward. I feel like having your experience on the podcast of managing hundreds of listings, having dozens that you sort of owned, operated on yourself, like the experience that you have in the industry and now being able to combine that with the data insights that I can bring, like, I feel like it's going to be a great partnership on the podcast and that we can uh, dig into some fun topics. Let's do it. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks everyone.